Chapter Twenty Six of Three People by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six: Theodore's Inspiration. New York postmark. That's from Ingold's and Ferry, I suppose. Chicago. That must be from Southey. And this is Ned's scrawling hand. Now for the fourth. Albany. Who the mischief writes me from Albany? This was Mr. Stevens's running commentary on his letters. He broke the seal of the Albany one and glanced at its contents. Hmm, he said meditatively, leaning his elbow on the table and his chin on his hand. Now to whom shall I send this appeal? I don't know of anyone. Mallory? Yes, sir, answered Theodore from behind the screen. Do you know of any one who could go to Albany in December and give? Stop, I know myself. Yes, that's an idea. You certainly know more than I do, then, answered Theodore, laughing. What do you happen to be talking about, sir? How soon can you give me ten minutes of your valuable time? At once, if you so desire, said the young man, and the young man emerged into the main office and came forward to the desk. Read that, then, answered Mr. Stevens, tossing him the Albany letter. A temperance lecture, eh, before the association. That's good, said Theodore, running his eye rapidly over the few lines of writing. Mr. Ryan would be a capital man to send them. Don't you think so, sir? But then it's in December. Ryan will not have returned from Chicago by that time, I fear. But then there's Mr. Williams. He's a fine speaker, and— I tell you, I've found a man, interrupted Mr. Stevens. The very man. Theodore, you must deliver that temperance lecture yourself. What a preposterous idea! And before Theodore proceeded further, he gave himself up to a burst of merriment. Then he added, I thought you a wiser man than that, sir. Why, I've never peeped in public. Don't you take part in the Wednesday meetings every evening, and lead three out of four of the Saturday evening ones, and speak in the Young Men's Association meetings every month? Yes, sir, certainly, but those are religious meetings, entirely different matters, and I—why, Mr. Stevens, I never thought of such a thing. I have, often. I tell you, Theodore, you have talents in that direction— you think and feel deeply on this matter of intemperance. If you don't understand it thoroughly in all its bearings, I'm sure I don't know who does, and you speak fluently and logically on any subject. Of course there must be a first time, and Albany is as good a place as any. This old friend of mine who has written for a speaker will treat you like a prince, and there is plenty of time for preparation." The meeting is not until the 22nd of December, and this is only October. My heart is very much set on this, my boy. But Theodore could not do much besides laugh. He burst into another merry peal as he said, My dear sir, I can't jump into the person of a full-fledged orator in a month, not even to please you. I'll send in your name and acceptance, was Mr. Stevens's positive answer. There is no reason why you should grow into the character of a quiet, rusty merchant like myself. I mean to send you adrift now and then. Besides, you owe it to the cause, I tell you. You could do incalculable good in that way. 
but Theodore was not to be persuaded. The most that Mr. Stevens could win from him was permission to delay answering the letter a few days, and a promise that meantime he would make the matter a subject of prayerful consideration. Meantime there is another matter on hand, said Mr. Stevens, turning promptly, as was his custom, from one item of business to another. Information derived from Hoyt demands either your or my immediate presence in their establishment. You understand the state of affairs, do you not? Perfectly. Am I to attend to that business? Well, it would be a great relief to me if you could. I hate the cars. Very well, sir. I can go, of course. What time shall I start? What time can you start? Theodore glanced at his watch. The express goes up in forty minutes. Shall I take that train? Mr. Stevens smiled and made what sounded like an irrelevant reply. Your extreme ability is perfectly refreshing, Theodore, to a man of my gray hairs and crushing weight of business. Theodore seemed to consider the reply sufficiently explicit, and in forty minutes afterward, valise in hand, swung himself on the express train just as it was leaving the depot. Mr. Stevens's last remark to him had been, Remember, my boy, to think of that matter carefully, and be prepared to give me a favorable answer, my heart is set on it. And Theodore had laughed and responded, If I have an inspiration during my absence, I may conclude to gratify you. This all happened on an October day. The rest of the winter that was in progress during that last chapter, and the long, bright summer, had rolled away, and now another winter was almost ready to begin its work. The summer had been a quiet one, aside from business cares and excitements. Pliny still retained his boarding place in the quiet asylum that had opened to him when his own home had proved so dangerous a place. Dora Hastings had spent the most of the summer with her parents, traveling east and north, but Pliny had remained bravely at his post, struggling still with his enemy, but still persisting in carrying on the warfare alone. This one matter was a sharp trial to Theodore's faith. Indeed, he felt himself growing almost impatient. "'Why must it be that he should halt and hesitate so long?' he exclaimed in a nervous and almost a petulant tone, as he paced up and down the back parlor one evening, after having had a talk with his little mother. I am sure if ever I had faith for anyone in the world, I had for him. "'Have you got it now?' she asked him gently. "'It appears to me as if you were pretty impatient, kind as if you thought you had prayed prayers enough, and it was high time they were answered.' Theodore looked surprised and disturbed, and continued his walk up and down the room for a few moments in silence. Then he came over to the armchair where she sat, and resting his hand on her arm, spoke low and gently. "'You probe to the very depth, dear friend. Thank you for your faithfulness. I see I must commence anew, and pray, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief.' Well, the express train whizzed past half a dozen minor stations, and halted at last at the place of Theodore's destination. Circumstances favored him, and the business that brought him thither was promptly dispatched. 
then a consultation with his timetable and watch showed him a full hour of unoccupied time he cast about him for some way of occupying it agreeably just across the street was a pleasant building and a pleasant sign general news depot and reading room thither he went the collection of books was unusually large and choice theodore selected a book of reference that he had been long desiring to see and took a seat several gentlemen were present engaged in reading presently the quiet was interrupted by the entrance of a middle-aged gentleman to whom the courteous librarian immediately addressed himself good afternoon mr cranmer can i serve you to a book no sir responded the newcomer promptly i don't patronize this institution you know sir theodore glanced up to see what sort of a personage this could be who was so indifferent to his privileges he looked the gentleman in every sense refined cultivated and intellectual at the same moment one of the other readers addressed him why the mischief don't you cranmer have you read every book there is in the world and feel no need of further information not by any manner of means but i am a temperance man myself what on earth has that to do with it and theodore found himself wondering and listening intently for the answer a great deal in this establishment the truth is if we had no drunkards we'd have no books what's the meaning of your riddle cranmer queried an older and graver gentleman who had been intently poring over a ponderous volume don't you know how the thing is done said cranmer turning briskly around toward the new speaker they use the license money of this honorable and respectable old town to replenish the library i don't see what that has to do with temperance promptly retorted the young man who had begun the conversation using the money for a good purpose doesn't make drunkards to what wicked use would you have the funds put i would keep the potter's field in decent order and defray the funeral expenses of murderers and paupers that would be putting liquor money to a legitimate use making it defray its own expenses returned mr cranmer composedly well but cranmer interposed the old gentleman explain your position it isn't the money belonging to the poor drunken wretches that we use for the library it's only what we make the scamps pay for the privilege of doing business for the privilege of making drunkards retorted mr cranmer here i'll explain my position by illustrating as i was coming up just now i met old connor's boy he was coming up here too the poor fellow is hungering and thirsting after books he has been at work over hours to my certain knowledge for six weeks to earn his dollar with which to join this library association he just accomplished the feat last night and was rushing over here dollar in hand and joy on his face just as he reached the door old connor stumbled and staggered along with his jug in his hand of course here you he said to the boy what you hiding under your arm and what you about anyhow mischief i'll be bound here give it to me whatever tis now gentlemen i stood there more shame to me and saw that poor wretch of a father deliberately take that hard-earned dollar away from his boy i saw the boy go crying off 
and the father stagger to that rum hole across the street get his jug filled and pay that dollar now when that respectable rum seller comes to pay his license money he is as likely to bring that stolen dollar as any other and they are all stolen in the first place from wives and children and when this splendid library association which is an honor to the town buys its next books it buys them with money stolen from the jimmy connors of the world that's my opinion in plain english and i don't propose to pay my dollar in supporting any such anti-temperance institution theodore had listened attentively to this conversation and his blood was roused and boiling he turned quickly away from the long line of splendid books and addressed mr cranmer i entirely agree with your position sir he said earnestly and i do not see how it is possible for any strictly temperance man to feel otherwise good for you young man responded mr cranmer warmly i like especially to see a young man sound and square on this subject well now i call that straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel remarked a gentleman who had heretofore taken no part in the conversation i'm a temperance man myself always have been but i consider that carrying the thing to a ridiculous extreme at this point theodore much to his regret heard the train whistle and was obliged to leave the question unsettled but the first remark he made to mr stevens on his return after business was disposed of was well sir i found my inspiration aha said mr stevens glad of that what is your text the amazing consistency of the so-called temperance world answered theodore dryly it was this combination of circumstances that led him to take his seat one wintry morning in a buffalo train himself ticketed through to albany there was still five minutes before the train would start and while he chatted with jim who had come to see him off the opening door revealed the portly form of mr hastings muffled to the throat in furs and with the identical wolfie thrown over his arm newly lined indeed in brilliant red but recognized in an instant by its soft peculiar fur and familiar to theodore as the face of an old friend instantly his memory travelled back to the scenes connected with that long ago and well-remembered journey when wolfie proved such a faithful friend to him his face flushed at the thought of it and yet the corners of his mouth quivered with laughter he flushed at the memory of the wretched little vagrant that he was at that time and laughed at the recollection of wolfie's protecting folds and the new and delicious sense of warmth that they imparted to him what a curious world it was there sat mr hastings in front of him now as he had sat then a trifle older more portly but in all essential respects the same haughty handsome gentleman but what mortal could recognize in himself the little wretched vagabond known familiarly as toad mall he tried to travel backward and imagine himself that young scamp who stole his passage from albany to buffalo at which thought the blood rolled again into his face and he felt an instinctive desire to go at once and seek out the proper authorities and pay for that surreptitious ride 
moreover he resolved that being an honest man now it was his duty so to do and that it should be the first item of business to which he would attend after leaving the cars then he glanced about him to see if he could establish his identity with the little ragged boy a gentleman with gray hair and gold spectacles bowed and addressed him good morning mr mallory going east far this was the merchant whose store joined their own he knew nothing about toad mall but he held intimate business relations with the junior partner of the great firm even mr hastings bowed stiffly mr stevens's partner and the small boy who travelled in his company years before were two different persons even to him at one of the branch stations that gentleman left the train much to theodore's regret as he had a curious desire to follow him once more in his journeyings and note the contrasts time had made arrived in albany he looked with curious eyes on the familiar and yet unfamiliar streets every five minutes he met men whom he had known well in his boyhood he recognized them instantly now they did not look greatly changed to him yet not a living soul knew him he went into establishments from which he had been unceremoniously ordered not to say kicked years before and presented their business card stevens mallory and co and was treated by those same business men with the utmost courtesy and cordiality he went down some of the old familiar haunts and could not feel that they had much improved he met a bloated disfigured wretched-looking man and something in the peculiar slouching gait seemed familiar to him he made inquiries and found him to be the person whom he had half surmised the old-time friend of his boyhood jerry the only one who had had a word of half comfort to bestow on him when he landed in albany that eventful night after his trip with mr hastings homeless and desolate jerry stared at him now a drunken sleepy stare and then instinctively stood aside to let the gentlemen pass never dreaming that they had rolled in the same gutter many a time does it seem strange to you that during all these years theodore had not long ere this returned to this old home of his and sought out that wretched father sometimes it seemed very strange to him don't imagine that he had not given it long and serious thought but he had shrunken from it with unutterable terror and dismay he had no loving tender memories of his father nothing but cruelty and drunkenness and sin by which to remember him still oftentimes during these latter years he had told himself that he ought to seek out his father he ought to make some effort to reclaim him he had prayed for him constantly fervently had poured out his whole soul in that one great desire still he knew and remembered that faith without works is dead he had made some effort had written earnest appeals hot from his heart to which he had received no sort of a reply he had written to one and another in albany prominent names that he remembered clergymen of the city as he learned their addresses begging for some assistance in the search after his father each and all of these attempts had proved failures to some of his letters he had received answers courteous christian answers and the gentlemen had lent them their time and aid but to no purpose 
apparently the name and place of the poor low rum seller had faded from the memory of the albanians he had disappeared one night after a more tremendous drunken row than usual and had never been seen or heard of since this was all and theodore baffled and discouraged had yet constantly meant to come to the search in person and as constantly had shrunken from setting out and delayed and excused himself until the present time now however he intended to set about it with vigour no matter what he is nor how low he has sunken he is my father and as such i owe him a duty and i must constantly remember that it is not he of whom i have bitter memories but rum 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 this he told himself with firmly set lips and a white determined face End of chapter 26